Let Me Ask You is a podcast for adults. We discuss explicit topics, sensitive topics such as death, suicide, drugs, etc. Content warnings can be found in the description. And we're not experts. Enjoy. Hello, welcome back to Let Me Ask You, the podcast. My name is Clay, and as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Jake. What's up? What's up? And today's guest, we have philosopher, student, podcaster, and honestly, an absolute gem of a person, Cynthia. Cynthia, thank you for joining us. Take a moment to introduce yourself. Oh my goodness, what a lovely introduction. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> and, I, and, and just for anybody who's listening, I already know that, that y'all are much younger than me, so so you can just think of me as your future. <laughs> Cindy, you have such a warm smile. You have just such a glow about you. Gosh, we gotta get video up and running. Because yeah, for real. Listeners, I'm not lying. Cynthia is an absolute gem. So we're gonna jump right is into it. Literally brighter than both of ours, too. Yeah, your lighting is phenomenal. Well, I'm I'm a shiny mamba jamba. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, man. Like I go out in public and and people. Well, I'll actually I've actually danced with people at grocery stores and. You know, just had people come up to me and, and want to talk to me and stuff. You know, yeah. I, I, I feel like a lot of people want to indulge in that. I just feel like people are too scared of, like, being called out for, like, societal norms. But, like, I can't tell you, like, impulsive thoughts. Like, there's so many times where I just wanted to do something just to do it. But I'm just like, ah, dude, they probably look at me weird. So that's cool that you, that you just, like, <laughs> you just give into that. I'm, I'm not saying it's bad. It's just, like, I feel like a lot of people would like to do that. Like, they just don't have your courage. Oh no, it's it's not me giving in. That's that's my mission. My whole my whole purpose for being is to do as much good as possible before I die so I can be most beautiful in the sight of truth and and the way to do that is to bring joy to others. So that's what I do. I love that. Unfortunately, today we are not joined by our sponsor, Raid Shadow our Legends. Would be Raid sponsor. Shadow Legends. Raid Shadow Legends, we know you're listening. Okay? And <laughs> if you think we won't send Cynthia to your headquarters, Okay, to bring some joy into your life, you're wrong. We will. I will be so shiny. (laughs) (laughs) We're not experts, okay? Jake and I are, we don't claim to be experts. Never. Never. And if you sue us, we'll see you in court, right? We'll We'll have, we will have good suits. Nice suits. What we will not have is lawyers. We will not have lawyers. Uh We can't afford that. Self-defense. So you will win, and we don't have money, so... It would be a complete waste of time. What do you want? Hat? Like, why would you? Want I'll give thing? you my hat. I'll, I'll give you I'll my give hat. Give you his hat. Let's jump right into it, Cynthia. <laughs> we like to start out all of our episodes by asking a generic start of the interview question: Where were you born, and like, what lessons did you learn where from where you were born? So essentially, where was I born, and why? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right on. Why were you born there? <laughs> Well, it all started with no. <laughs> I, I was born talk. in Trenton, New Jersey, uh, in in 1963 on Guy Fawkes Day, which is November 5th for for anybody who's not a history buff. Remember, remember the 5th of November. And uh, I was born in Trenton, New Jersey, so I grew up in the inner city. Well, not technically the inner city, but but pr- much closer to the city than you are in the suburbs. And uh, I, I would say the impact. Well, the impact on me as a kid was pretty profound as I realized later on in life because I, I had developed these habits 
um, you know, if I was walking down the street at night, like I would look at the ground when I walked so I could see shadows coming up behind me, things like that. Like those are things that you don't do in the country because everything is darker than the inside of a cow out in the country, you know? <laughs> so, so yeah, there, there was that impact and, and there were a lot of bars and prostitutes and drug dealers and, 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 uh, uh, kind of a lot of racism, like a pretty tremendous amount of racism. So, so yeah, it, well, it, I mean, and it, it had the kind of impact that you would expect when a, when a large group of people are in a very small area. I had, I had this conversation today. I'm a firm believe I have thoughts on racism and we'll get into it. My question is, do you think that there are levels to racism or is a person racist or not racist period? Um, well, I, I think, I think there are levels. I, I think there are people who are actively aware and the racism comes just out of pure hate and the perceptions and programming that, that they've been inundated with and, and, and had enforced upon them over the course of their life experience, you know, and then that would be like the KKK members, you know, people like that. And then there's like this subgroup that is like, they're not aware of their racism. Like, <laughs> You know, because you'll say, you, you know, they'll, they'll, you know, well, Obama was president, so obviously racism is over, right? And I'm like, Lord. what makes you think that? <laughs> On what planet are you living? <laughs> like, if you don't see the institutional racism that still exists today, not only in education and in, in the criminal justice system, you know, just just right on down the line, then then you are you are woefully unaware. In my opinion, I think some people also like the like the unaware that they're racist thing. It could, you know, I mean, just considering where you grew up too, Cynthia, it's like some of it could just be like a defense mechanism, you know, like just based on the area that you were raised and stuff. Maybe it's not like an inherent thing, like you don't hate a particular group, but it's just from your experience, this is like. Uh, it's actually uh, interesting that you should bring that up because because the reason I know that there is racism is because I saw what they did to people who were not white who tried to move into that area. You know, I've I've right, no, no, seen I, people have crosses burned on their lawns. Oh, stuff. I'm, like, not, not I'm, good. Not, <laughs> I'm not denying the existence of blatant racism. I'm just saying that in some people where it exists and the more of a more of an undertone rather than an overtone. I think that sometimes that can be more of a defense mechanism rather than just like an outward hatred for people. And I'm not defending it. I'm just like, we're just classifying different forms of it. Uh, well, well, no, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and yes, it could be a self-defense me mechanism, but I would, I would say that the reason that they feel the need to activate that self-defense mechanism is because of the programming that they've received over the course of their life. You know, like like television yeah. shows, movies, you know, their family, their friends, they all have these these very specific perceptions of people who don't look like them. And yeah. and whether they need to defend themselves or not, automatically those shields are going to go up. If that, does, it, does that make sense? No, it, it, no, it makes sense. It was just a different like sort of classification of it. I'm not defending it one way or the other. I'm just saying that there there could be ones where people are just kind of unaware of it. But from the outside looking in, it's a lot more apparent that kind of behavior because not everybody like practices like cross burning and stuff or like the white supremacist thing like it like some people look at it it's like it's not black and white it's not just like this one thing you're now racist it's just the behaviors that you exhibit it might be more low-key than someone like for example like you said like the kkk 
Like you might, you could be like, oh, dude, that's horrible. Like, why would you ever do that to someone? But you yourself are exhibiting behaviors that you just don't notice because, it, like I said, it could be like a defense mechanism or something. But someone who doesn't share or um, adopt the same uh, ideologies that you do could look at you and very blatant, like they could classify it as like, okay, this is like some KKK shit. Like it's, and it's like, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> like, and, and, and the kind of, the kind of unawareness I'm talking about comes from uh, just, just having no way of, of having any understanding of what it is to be someone who is not the same color as you. Yeah. And I think that it's a, it's a pretty big issue too. There, there's like the, the straight up denial of like the in neighborhoods where it was designed to be in like high drug areas because well, you the know, CIA we, we and crack yeah, cocaine yeah, and, you know, yeah, all of that. Then, <laughs> like, do I we mean, want to climb into that rabbit hole? Because I'm ready. <laughs> oh, no, I, I understand. And then there, in more recent times, like since 2020, there, there's now sparked this anti-white rhetoric as well. And um, I just think that the answer to combating racism is not the opposite end of racism. You know what I mean? I just think it, it's both on it's bad on both sides right now. Oh, I, I and agree. So, and, and and I would say the same thing is happening between genders, men and women. Oh, They're absolutely. Like, like, like we are coming we are coming further apart instead of coming yeah. together. It kind of sucks that it's not like black and white because that means that there's not like an easy solution for it. And so you have the people that are outwardly doing things that are abhorrent and would be shunned by most of society. And then you have people that exhibit more low-key behaviors. And while you may not know that you're doing something wrong it, it's like super offensive to someone or someone else could very easily notice i i don't know if i'm really putting this into words correctly and no i i understand i have two roommates and they're both black and okay. and and i am often caught out you know like <laughs> really is that is, is that what you wanted to say <laughs> and i'm like well maybe i probably could have rephrased it you know like like just just Again, you know, not not having any understanding of their life experience, you know, uh, it, it, it uh, just like, you know, I, I feel that I personally have been disenfranchised by society just by virtue of being a woman. But I have I have zero understanding of the disenfranchisement that they have experienced just because of their skin is a specific color. I was just saying that it just goes back to there is no black and white. It's very it's a very gray area and it sucks that it's not black and white because that means there's not an easy solution. It's not as easy as don't do this because it might not be that simple. Well, well, honestly, if, if people had any real understanding of themselves and the world around them, they would also understand that these bodies have very little to do with the people that we are. Oh, I would argue nothing. (laughs) The way that you physically appear has absolutely nothing to do with your character. It's Yeah. It doesn't. What would you say is your earliest memory? Um, probably about five ish, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, probably probably about five. I remember I remember uh, being being at the shore with my family, but we did that every year, so that could just be sort of you know like <laughs> our vacations never changed. <laughs> We did exactly the same things at exactly the same time every single year or so. So that could just be sort of a carryover. I'm interested because of particularly where you grew up and the time period in which you were born. That's like right in the middle of the, you know, 
the civil rights movements from from the 1960s to the mid 1970s how did that affect how you interacted with other children what were the children saying about the civil rights movement at the time well the children i knew weren't saying too much i had a lot to say cuz cuz my sister was very involved and and so you know i would go with her to protests and and we made these banners for for when the uh, POWs came home and and abortion was a big thing at that time they had just you know they were they were talking about abortion and making it legal and and how necessary it was because women were dying in droves and and there was just so much turmoil at that time and and that that's kind of the weird thing because that's that's what got me involved in the stuff I'm doing now because I'm I'm watching exactly the same thing happen all over again how does it how does it feel t- to you to see our nation kind of projecting back into that direction I am outraged <laughs> to be to be perfectly honest and and it's funny that you should phrase the question that way because I I just I just had like this particular issue come up for me like I am outraged that we are still dealing with the same stupid stuff that we were dealing with in the 60s and 70s I am outraged that women have not only not gotten any further ahead but have actually stepped 50 years behind I am outraged that as a woman born in the United States of America I have to demand my rights in what is supposed to be a free country and I'm, I'm just going to stop there because you know I'm upset. <laughs> no, it's okay to be upset. And it's good that you, what's, what's that movie? And he's like, get mad, damn it. Like one of those things. It's, yeah, it's, oh, yeah. yeah. You I'm know what it is too? I don't it's care that, who knows it. It's, it's that people get their information from the same source so often that they start to live in this echo chamber when it's literally just as easy as going down the street and having a conversation with someone. Because when you talk to someone that has an opposing view, you're going to learn something. But if you keep listening to the, to the, the fucking TV or whatever you want to listen to, right? And it's telling you the same thing day in and day out. That's just what you're going to believe until it gets to the point where this is just part of who you are. There's nothing that you can do to change that. But you surround yourself with people with differing opinions you might have a different opinion at some point. It's literally just as easy as having a conversation. I feel like so many people are afraid to have the conversation because they're afraid to be wrong. So it's absolutely so get mad. Like literally get that's that is the solution. You wanna you wanna sit in your house in your bubble and be safe and be correct all the time? Cool. Nothing's gonna change. But you wanna go out, you wanna get mad, you wanna protest, you wanna have that conversation. That's how stuff changes. So good, get mad. Everyone else needs to get mad too. That just the fact that they're not on your frequency is the reason why things aren't changing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <my> <laughs> well, well, truthfully, I try and save my outrage for protests and stuff because those take a lot of energy too. I, you know, I try and keep it on the DL when I do interviews and podcasts and things. But thank you so much for letting me letting me voice my opinion. This is a haven. I'm also for kind speech. of I'm also kind of outraged that I have to wear a shirt and a bra when when there are men in the world who have angelus breasts larger than mine and they can walk around without a shirt. Just saying. <laughs> Let me ask your podcast holds no political affiliation, no religious affiliation. You I actually, get as mad as you want to hear. I actually wonder why men's breasts aren't sexualized in the same way that women's aren't or the same I think way they should be. Are. You want me to sexualize your breast, Clay? You do already, man. <laughs> You've done it before. <laughs> do you know what? I didn't need to be put on blast like this. It's a bad look. <laughs> so, Cynthia, mm-hmm. coming up in this time of really upheaval and really big change, what was life like specifically for you in your teenage to young adult years? Uh, not good. 
not good. I, I grew up in a very dysfunctional household. My my father was an alcoholic. My mother was the child of an immigrant woman who who had very specific ideas of about how women should be and and how they should behave and what was right and what was wrong and 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 I've I've pretty much gotten rid of all of those <laughs> all of those ideas. <laughs> Sorry, Graham. <laughs> um, but. But, you know, very, very conservative, very Catholic, Russian Orthodox leaning. And and all of that was projected onto me as a child. Plus, you know, my father being an alcoholic, he was he was a very large person and, and a very violent person. And, and it created a lot of disturbance in the house, which, you know, as we go down the line on this story, you'll you'll see where that that theme pops up again. <laughs> um, and and then uh, when I was about 13 uh, my mom decided to finally divorce my dad because because he had just hit her one time too many. And and I, I'll also mention that every time prior to that, that the police had been called at that time when women called called the police on their husbands who were abusing them, the police would actively work to get them not to go to jail. Well, you know, if he goes to jail, then he's going to miss work and then you're not going to have any money. You know, those those uh, those economic trappings that, that come along with being married to somebody when you live in a society where you don't have that kind of independence of your own. Because you grew up in what I would argue to be a pretty volatile era, what was that like? It's not very often that you have that conversation with someone that actually lived through that kind of experience. So I, I, I'm really curious to know what just all of your school experiences, what like just like what was it like just day-to-day life versus what would what it would be now? Because obviously there's a lot of things that were way more acceptable back then that you would um you might get beat up for these days. Uh, well, well, as far as the school that I actually went to, because because I was just in, in grammar school at that point in time. I uh, it, it wasn't until like the seventies when when you know things were obviously changing from what they were in the sixties. So, uh, and when I was in grammar school, like it didn't really have that much impact. And and like I said, I I was exposed to it more than than a lot of others because my sister was very involved. But but there was a guy, there was a guy who lived down the street who was actually a POW who came home to watch him shamble around the neighborhood a mere husk of the human being that he used to be was impactful uh the church i used to go to uh at that time uh were were conscientious objectors so we used to go out leafletting uh the conscientious objectors and and you would get you would get yelled at a lot (laughs) and i think that's why they like having me around because because it made it less likely that they would also get spit on or beaten up for challenging the, the the patriotism of 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 the people who you know of course you would go to war and die for some stupid reason and in some misguided effort to maintain a zero sum game why wouldn't you <laughs> <laughs> sorry getting outraged again <laughs> stand <Go> fast <laughs> um and and then because uh, we lived we just lived a couple blocks down the street from from Trenton High School, which which I I don't know if you're familiar with the Trenton High riots. They had they had a lot of riots at that time, and and there were flag burnings and and you know be, me being as young as I was, I I pretty much got kept home. Uh, but I remember watching it on the news and and realizing that it was actually happening in my neighborhood you know like all of that screaming that i was hearing outside was attached to this violence that i was seeing on television and and it yeah it it was pretty crazy (laughs) 
And it must, it must have been hard to live just like a peaceful life that you could keep to yourself. Because I mean, you had like up until like the late sixties, you had the civil rights movement. You obviously had the Vietnam War, which a lot of people were against, mm-hmm. and then you even had the the Roe v. Wade and abortion rights that were prevalent in the seventies too. Was that like? Did you feel that all around you? Like, was there just like a like a an essence in the air? I, I would have to say no. I, I mean, there were times that, that it was, you know, depending on where you were and who was there doing the things that they that they were doing, because you would often come across people who were either pro-choice or, or anti-choice or, you know, people who were pro-war or anti-war, you know, it just kind of depended on where you were. But, but um, say there were riots in L.A. And, and you live in a suburb of L.A., you're you're not you're not going to see any of that, you know. That's not going to be your actual reality. But what you're hearing is the manufactured reality that is a reality for someone, just not you. So it might not have been too much different than the rise and stuff that we see today. And obviously now we have more outrage from the the Roe v. Wade it being overturned. So I, I yeah I guess you're right. I don't really. I'm not really like hands on or in person with that stuff either. Well, but, I, you know, you I hear about it on the news and kind of sympathize. I just didn't know, and I could be wrong, but I just I feel like it was just the way that it's talked about. I feel like it might have been bigger back then than a lot of issues are today. I, I could be gravely mistaken, so if I am, feel free to correct me. Well, no, it it, it probably was in like Washington D.C. where they were having the big marches and stuff, but but in you know Trenton, New Jersey. You know, we had we had some riots, and and you know, there wasn't too much to to go along with that 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 didn't involve us just basically living our lives. You know, there were there were people who had chosen sides, there were people who had definite opinions, but but at that time, and I I would say that is the big difference between now and then. Like neighbors actually got along with each other; they looked out for each other's kids. You know, if you needed something, you, even if they didn't like you, you could count on them to jump up your car if need be, or or something like that. And and you, and 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 this could also be my manufactured reality because I I don't get out much, but I do hear a lot about Karens and and people doing crazy things with each other. And it, and it just seems to me that that people aren't neighbors anymore; they're adversaries. Staying in this kind of topic of childhood during this time. The 1970s, specifically during kind of the civil rights movement, there was curfew imposed. Did the curfews affect you growing up? Uh, not any more than the curfews my parents gave me. <laughs> like there's always a tree in a back window somewhere, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. <laughs> you were just supporting the movements at the time. So yeah, there's nothing that. wrong with that. <laughs> Fight the power, you know? <laughs> Women in power, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah, and and that was kind of the way I looked at it. Well, my whole life is pretty much a testament to not being part of the establishment, you know, because when I was growing up, women were expected to be English teachers or nurses or housewives or secretaries, and and my whole life has been spent doing none of those things. (laughs) (laughs) To my detriment often, but definitely not doing those things. So When when your parents divorced... What was the custody situation? Did you stay with 
mom or dad? Uh, I I stayed with mom, but but that whole divorce thing was just a hot mess anyway. Because because my dad again was an alcoholic. He was incredibly jealous. He was incredibly violent. And 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 I I there would be people coming to the house looking for him because he had just beaten somebody up because they he got it into his head that they they wanted to get with my mother even though that they were divorced. Like it was a mess. It was a hot mess. So you said that you didn't kind of prescribe to the standard i'm using quotes here women's duties so what was post school first job kind of early adulthood like for you uh well my early adulthood started at 17 when i joined the service i joined the navy at 17 um because because i i I was done to death with school it was a torture chamber for me and and I, you know the only way out was to live on my own. So I ju- I joined the Navy. At what did you do in the Navy? Uh, I was an SH, but I I actually qualified to work on nukes. Unfortunately, women weren't allowed on combat ships at the time, so they had no use for me. So they COG'd me, which is convenience of the government. Uh, they COG'd me to SH which is ship, ship serviceman, which qualifies me to work in any retail sales outlet in the country. <laughs> That's true. Um, I think they're RSs now, though, right? Retail specialists? I think so. Uh, well, they, they may have changed it. That yeah. that was like the early 80s. So. How degrading is it to give you like a really mundane job and then put specialists on the end of it? Like laundry specialist? Like, what is that supposed to be? What's that supposed to be, dude? It's a slap to the face. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why are you even trying to make me feel special? Yeah. We all know it's a scam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how long were you in the Navy for? Four years. Was that, and that was just a means to escape? Like, I'm guessing, obviously, you weren't trying to make a, like, a career out of it. Uh, no, I, I kind of wish that I had been thinking that way, because I would have retired at 37 and, and been collecting the, that check and had those benefits for the rest of my life. But I was a 17-year-old kid. What did I know? <laughs> yeah. What ships did you serve on? I was on the USS Lexington AVT-16, which is currently mothballed and in Corpus Christi, Texas. Which it, it was a train. It was a training carrier. How would you describe your time in the service? Uh, th- there were a lot of good times. I I got drunk a lot. <laughs> I, <think that's laughs> I spent a lot of time drinking. Pretty hard for the course for the Navy, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, you got to live up to those stereotypes, or where they yeah. think there's something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, my, my time actually on board the ship, uh, was both good and bad because as you can well imagine, uh, women were the minority on the ship. There was a lot of sexual assault. There was a lot of sexual harassment. There was a lot of just, just plain old chauvinism. Um, but then when you go out to sea and you stand on the fantail of an aircraft carrier and it's at night and there are no, there's no human light there. All you see is the stars and it, and it makes it all worth it because it's, it's just like the most beautiful thing that you could ever imagine seeing. Like the water is just so clear and the sky is just so bright and the stars shine like you can't even imagine if you've never seen it. Like it's beautiful. That is such a wholesome thing to take away from an experience in an organization at a time when women specifically were marginalized. That's beautiful. Wait. Well, you find your escapes where you can. <laughs> and they wouldn't let me drink out to sea, so. It's <laughs> like, you know what, man? I just got my ass beat for 12 hours straight. Literally physically beat. But you know what? These stars. These stars are beautiful. <laughs> yeah. These are pretty ass stars. Well, it's breathtaking. Oh, no, really I agree with you. I think the, I think the, the prettiest night sky I've, I've ever seen was I, I attended a church camp when I was a teenager in Wisconsin. And just where it was, there was very little light pollution. So you could literally see every single star. And I was like, whoa. And I, I'm from rural Ohio, so fairly close to the cities. So it's just like, 
you see like okay, that's nice it's like if i mean yeah. if, i guess if you live it it's that's your life but if you're accustomed to not seeing the night sky and then you go somewhere where you, where the night sky is really prevalent it's kind of daunting yeah yeah but but the experience actually working on the ship was was also a torture chamber i left school to go into another torture chamber <laughs> the only difference being is i got to be free when i wasn't there anymore <laughs> What'd you do after the Navy? Uh, well, I, I actually met my first husband while I was in the Navy. Uh, I was his fire watch, and I told him he was going to have to burn because I wasn't. Uh, uh, do you know what a screaming alpha is? I'm unaware. Uh, okay, well, a, an alpha fire is something that leaves ash. And, and a human being who is on fire leaves ash and screams. Oh, screaming, screaming alpha. alpha. Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 That's that's wholesome. And that's that's wholesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah right? Beautiful. It's beautiful, honestly. <laughs> the night sky. What a beautiful I gotta way to meet you. your first husband. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, because you know, screaming alphas are unpredictable and I didn't want to catch on fire too, so so I told him, you know, he was gonna be on his own if he wasn't careful. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then he saw me. He saw me out one night at a bar called Lady Lillian's, and uh, th- this this person tried to grab me out of my chair three times when I was trying to drink. And the third time, and and that he was unconscious before he hit the floor. And he decided then that I was the woman he wanted to marry because I could take care of myself. <laughs> <laughs> Yay me! <laughs> How would you describe your transition from being in the Navy to going back to civilian life? Uh, it, it was very difficult because because when you, you there's a lot of responsibility in the Navy and and the job that I did personally like I ran my own store I ran my own laundry and and then and then suddenly you're this housewife and military dependent which makes it even worse um, because at the time military military dependents were discouraged you know if, if we didn't issue a family in your duffel bag then you didn't necessarily need to have one so so that that was a completely different experience, very infuriating at times, but but yeah, very different experience. Um, and 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 it it almost made it harder because you you come away serving in the military with like a certain amount of pride, you know, like like I've done this thing, I've I you know I spent my four years, I, I kept my head down, I didn't die, <laughs> I served my country honorably, and then and then you just get treated like garbage after that you know so so it was it was difficult transitioning especially when you're when you're still dealing with the same the same establishment the same institution but now they're treating you as a lesser being because you're not active duty that's very i mean it's shameful it's shameful honestly that you know how long go ahead jake i was just gonna ask him how long did you spend as a housewife how long was that your reality after you separated that was my reality until i lost my mind uh so eight Seven years, seven years. And how did that go down? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, well, I lost my mind. <laughs> right, like how did it escalate uh, to that? Uh, well, well, what happened was is um, uh, c- because we got married while we were in the service. Then, then we both got out of the service, and then he rejoined a different service. So, so I had spent my time doing that, traveling around the world. Uh, you know, I, I managed to get us packed into two, du- two duffel bags to go to Germany for a family of of three at the time uh you know there was all this moving around all of this instability and and i said what happened was is they had just come back from the desert shield and somebody had screwed up the paperwork so he was he was looking at getting put out of the military because he hadn't made enough rank 
and um, and they had this early separation thing. So so we were going to get this big chunk of money, and then we would be separated from the service. So we got this big chunk of money. I said, I don't care what you do as long as you are home. That's that's all I care about. Use this money. You know, we'll get set up. Use the rest to to educate yourself in something. You know, so that because he was very educated in a lot of things, he just didn't have the paperwork to prove it. So, so get the paperwork that you need, go be a welder, go be a steam fitter, do whatever your little heart desires, as long as you're home. And, and he frittered away and frittered away and frittered away until, until it finally came down to brass tacks. And, and the easiest choice at that time was for him to get a CDL and become an over the road truck driver. So he becomes an over the road truck driver and, and, I, I don't know if you're familiar with that experience, but but it can be very difficult if, if people aren't on the same sheet of music financially. And, and he was spending a lot of money and not telling me, and I was trying to pay the bills and checks were bouncing and the car didn't have insurance and, and all of these bad things were happening because he wasn't paying attention. And when he did come home, you know, at that point, like my stress level had had pretty well maxed out. And he had been on the road for 63 days straight. And I, and, I, and I told him, I said, I said, the only thing that is keeping me from killing myself is that the kids will be the ones to find my body. I can't do this by myself anymore. And, and he said, it sounds like you have a chemical imbalance. You might want to see a doctor about that. Got his log books and walked out the door. And my whole world fell apart in that moment. So did the, the, the sorry, did the divorce happen shortly after that? Uh, no, uh, what happened was, is I ended up, <laughs> I ended up doing drugs <laughs> and becoming an alcoholic. Whoa. And, 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 and at that point I couldn't save myself anymore. I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, The Neverending Story. Oh yeah. You, you know, the, you know, the part where the rock fighter is going, they look like big, strong hands, don't they? But I just couldn't hold on. That that is exactly what it felt like. Like everything I touched just turned to garbage and fell out of my hands. I just couldn't hold it together, and I didn't know how to fix it. And I knew that if I stayed with my family the way I was, then I was going to end up inflicting the same damage that my father had inflicted on me. So I left, and it was one of the hardest choices I've ever had to make, but not a choice that that I regret at this point in time. How long did you fall? into that path of drugs and alcohol Mm, about well 10 15 years of just consistent use pretty much yeah i i mean i would back off the alcohol but but the methamphetamine was was a hardline addiction like like why i could not get through the day without it was it just straight into that uh well it, it started out it started out with alcohol and and then it went into a couple of lines and then then it was like well let's smoke some and then it was like, well, <laughs> why are we smoking this when we can just run it up our arm? <laughs> wow. What a leap in logic. And it won't hurt our nose. <laughs> oh, yeah. Reason and logic reigns supreme. <laughs> and were your kids ever, like, present for that? No. Were they at least, were they still, like, in the house, like, under your care? Like, I, maybe you, like, just went and, like, just didn't do it in front of them. But, like, or did you wait until the children were not in the house? No, when I, 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 well, I didn't do, I, I, my, my methamphetamine addiction wasn't, wasn't nearly as bad as it got to be at that point in time. I left when my alcohol was getting out of control. Wow. So you said that that persisted for about 15 years. That's a really long time. Did you find yourself in any, any like shady spots, dark corners, anything like that? 
<laughs> sure, meth and alcohol yeah. for 15 years. You're probably not. Our yeah, listeners will not let us get away anymore. without asking you about your yeah. shady spot stories. <laughs> well, I could tell you that there are still dark corners of Fort Smith, Arkansas that mention my name in reverence. <laughs> Hush tones. Well, well, because you know, at the height of my addiction, I, I was, I was, I was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. And I was a bartender at one of the hottest bars in town. So pretty much everybody knew who I was on site, you know. So, so yeah, I got into a lot of crazy stuff. And, and that's actually what, what brought me to quit because one of the crazy situations I found myself in was um, I was, I was uh, babysitting for this woman who said that she just had to run to the store real quick. And three days later, she still hadn't come home and, and there was no food in the house. There were no light bulbs because tweakers will use light bulbs to make pipes out of. I don't know if you're aware I of was that, not. Um, but there were no light bulbs in the house. <laughs> there was no food in the house. Her, her daughter was was um, pretty seriously handicapped, you know, and, and I didn't have a car or a phone. So, so I didn't know what to do. And then, and then come to find out, I finally got my hands on a car and I drove to the casino and there she sat as she had been sitting for the, for the last three days in front of a, in front of one of those one-armed bandit machines, just taking money in. (laughs) Yeah. Thank goodness security was there. (laughs) Or I'd probably still be in jail. (laughs) Like I snatched her out of that chair. <laughs> what was the, you know, in your head, the turning point, the, uh, all right, this has got to stop. What was that, that time period? Uh, well, well, and, and that, that brings us to that moment because, you know, she's like, Oh, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. And, and, and I distinctly remember sitting in her living room and she had an eight ball sitting on the table an eight balls, three and a half grams. And, um, and, and me, consciously having to fight myself not to just grab that entire bag and walk out the damn door, you know, cause that's, that's all I really wanted. I didn't want an apology. I didn't care if I ever saw her again. The only thing that I had on my mind at that moment was the meth as it was sitting in front of me. That's so insane. That drug addiction literally just eats away at your yeah. mind and that's all that you can think about. Oh yeah. It, well, it rewires your entire brain. I just, I can't they, imagine. You know, they've done scientific studies. It's like trying to, crawl out of an oiled pan it's just like how do you do that you know oh it's brutal it's brutal and and i remember saying you, you know i remember you know because i was basically an atheist at the time like i believe there was a higher a higher consciousness of some sort but i didn't think it had anything to do with me personally but but it was very much like what they say there's no atheists in foxholes when you get in those desperate positions that's what you do you know please please just just help me through this moment you know, help me be the best version of myself in this moment. And, and I, and, and like nothing came to me from on high, but, but I remember having a pretty considerable struggle with myself and, and I won, but, but that wasn't good enough because my life also speaks to when, when I get attached to things like that, especially things that I know aren't good for me. As soon as it gets to that point, then that's the point that I have to walk away. Or, or then I'm not being true to myself, you know, like, like, it's okay, as long as I'm not addicted. But the minute I get addicted, it's not okay anymore. 
So I ended up moving 1,400 miles away to, uh, to Pennsylvania from Arkansas and, and just having zero contact with all of the people that I had contact with prior to that. What did your support look like coming out of drug addiction, if you had any? I didn't have any. I Whoa, just did fighting it. for wow. yourself. That is so insane. So... How did you manage? Yeah, like, I, I mean, I used to how, I used to volunteer at a at a, like a halfway house, and we always used to tell the guys, you know, you can't be around who you used to be around. So it sounds like that's what you did. You left the situation, mm-hmm. but how did that affect your psyche? Not being not knowing anyone around that could get you drugs, not not being in contact with those old friends, those old uh, you know crutches, if you will. Uh, it was it was a struggle. Every minute of every day was spent. You know, gee, I, I really like I really want to get high right now. And, and then going, you know, having that, you know, because I could have found it if I had wanted to, you know, even though I was living in a different state, like you can you can Absolutely. find drugs if you know where to look, you know, and, and when you've been a drug addict, you know where to look. So so it was it was mostly me just making that conscious choice. No, we're going we're going to get through this minute. We're going to get through this minute. We're going to get through this minute. And if, if we can do it long enough, then it'll just be a matter of getting through the day. And if we can just get through the day, then we can get through the month. And if we can get through the month, we can get through the year. And if we can get through the year 10 years from now. Well, well, I, I actually quit in 2004. So. That's how long it's been since since I've gotten high. So did you relapse after you left, after the casino night, right? Did you relapse at all? No, not not once I quit in 2004. I, I did relapse after I left Arkansas um, because I was a truck driver and <laughs> methamphetamine is quite available to truck drivers <laughs> for anybody who's listening. <laughs> Like, if you really want to know what's rolling down the road, just go to a truck stop for five minutes. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, so, that's so huge, I did, though. I did relapse then. I was, I was just like, congratulations for staying, as, for staying clean for so long and being as strong as you've been. Coming up on 20 years. A lot of people have lost that fight. So the fact that you won speaks volume of your character and your spirit. Well, it's not over until you're dead. Yeah. You know, like I, I could relapse tomorrow. And as long as I live through it, I can always quit again. And that, and that's the thing that people forget. They forget that, you know, just because they didn't do it this time, you know, so you do it the next time or the next time or the next time. And so you finally get it the way you want it to be. That's 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 what the entire life process is supposed to be, trying to become the best version of yourself at any given moment. And if it is a weak moment, then then the best version of yourself is going to be weak. If it is a if 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 it is a better moment, then then the best version of yourself will be strong and powerful and empowered. To fill the hole that drugs left in your life, what was your outlet after you quit? What did you do? I was angry all the time, like angry about everything and, and just inflicting damage everywhere I met, went. Because part of doing the drugs was just to try and make myself feel normal. Uh, I, I don't know how y'all feel, but I spent my whole life feeling like I did not belong anywhere. And, and it wasn't until I found philosophy that I actually understood what it meant when somebody, somebody says, oh, I'm home. It feels like home. Now I understand what that means. I had never had that experience before I found philosophy. And I was 55 years old when I found philosophy. How'd you come across philosophy? Oddly enough, <laughs> um, I, was a, I was a snowplow driver for PennDOT. 
and and it was one of the days that I was working as acting foreman and and I fell down a flight of stairs cement stairs face first and and it did a lot of damage so I was looking at potentially being in a wheelchair for the rest of my life so I figured that my brain should be working at max capacity so I decided to go back to school and and I banged around school for a couple of years and and then and then number 45 started doing all the craziness that he was doing and it seemed like the whole world was going right down the crapper <laughs> And, uh, and, and I couldn't make sense of any of it. So, so I started out with an ethics class because I, you know, I kept hearing people say ethics, this, you know, it's against our ethics and, and why aren't they ethical? And, and I'm like, how are you people defining ethics? Because <laughs> this is not my understanding, y'all. <laughs> so, so I took an ethics class and, and, and I was, I was definitely graced with with an amazing professor you know who who just kept kind of pushing me along pushing me along pushing me you know holding my feet to the fire not not letting me get away with the things that that the previous professors had let me get away with because i like i didn't want to be there i was just looking for a piece of paper so i could maybe do something else when i was in a wheelchair and he kept pushing me along and and i took that ethics class and i, I didn't i didn't understand a lot of what he was, what he was telling me and then i took this um this other philosophy class, comparative religion, and, and and I would say it was just sort of an add-on to the entire experience. But um, like I had this moment where where just everything made sense. My entire life had made sense of, and it, you know, it was it was almost like, well, no, it was exactly like I suddenly remembered that I had programmed all of this. You know, like like this was what like I was supposed to be doing all of these terrible things so that I could be the person that I am now for whatever I do moving forward. What did turning to a life of philosophy look like? Like just your day to day based on because I mean, you battled with drug addiction for so long and then you were just sort of in this empty place where you weren't addicted to anything, but you didn't really have anything left. And then you found philosophy. So what did your day to day turn into when you finally found purpose in philosophy? Oh, love and virtue and beauty and 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 the people that I get to be around now are are just so amazing, you know? <laughs> like they're almost like Jesus <laughs> or what I would think Jesus would be like, you know, like they're all yeah. super virtuous. They're all, you know, uh, you know, intellectual, but not obnoxiously intellectual. You know, they're very high, high vibrating people. They like, they really just want to do what is good for every other person on the earth. Is there any specific philosophy that you subscribe to? Yeah. Love. Love is, yeah. It, love each other always and and that doesn't mean that that you should allow people to inflict themselves upon you because not everybody is ready to love and and a lot of people don't even understand what love is um uh, well they don't understand what love is as i understand it to be but um yeah just just love each other that's it but, you know it doesn't matter what you look like it doesn't matter how much money you make like like none of those things matters none of them <laughs> just you know do make Create the artwork that you want your life to be. It's beautiful. Is there any philosophers that you draw inspiration from? Oh, yeah. Plato, uh, Hypatia, uh, Buddha. Uh, oh, Plotinus. Plotinus is a big favorite for me because he actually has the same understanding of what I consider to be truth that I do. So I'm very grateful yep. for that. Buddha is a good one. Um, I remember a while back I, when I was, I was going through some struggles too, and I don't think I've really had like my stroke of luck when it comes to finding faith. But um, I knew that 
so the Buddhists sort of adopted more of a lifestyle rather than a um, a belief, or their belief revolved around a, a lifestyle just being better. Which I, I guess you could make that argument for other religions too. But I just feel like there's felt more true and more natural. So I bought um, what the Buddha taught. Um, and I started listening to that and I'd listen to like a phrase a day or like a passage a day out of that book. And it was literally, it was, it was nice because it was, it was that philosophy. It wasn't, um, it didn't have this like virtuous overtone. It was literally a quest to make yourself better than your past versions. And there was almost like oh my a strange comfortability in that versus trying to devote your life to living a certain way. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, because you are your foundation. And then you build off that foundation. So it's literally just you building a better version of you. And I just think that there's a, I think there's something to be said about that. So I think it's, it's really interesting, I guess, that where other people have been in similar situations where they have felt so lost and alone in their life and they've made bad choices and they felt like there was no recourse for them, that they found themselves in faith, but you didn't. You found yourself in essence in you. You found a better version of you through this philosophy that you adopted. So I, I think that's really cool. Oh, it's amazing! I encourage everybody to do it. <laughs> I'm like, we could all be happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and without qualification, you know, you know, because because people would look at my life now, you know, I'm I'm on social security disability. I'm you know I'm going to school, uh, University of Arkansas for my philosophy degree. I have huge student debt. Like like I like that debt is going to outlive me. Of this, that is the only thing I have little doubt of. And and so people look at my life and they're like, <laughs> but I'm happy. If you ask me, am I happy? I will tell you, oh, yes, absolutely. I am happy. And and most people, when you ask them that question, they'll say, well, yeah, you know, except for, you know, if I had some more money, you know, if I weighed a little less, if I, you know, had this thing different in my life. No, I'm just happy being the person I am in the moment that I am being that person in. And and to speak to your point, you're right with Buddhism. It, it is an entire way of being. And and it is it is the way of being that that is the way the essence of being would would yeah. be projecting authentically if not for all the trauma bias core belief and preconceptions that it, that that we are programmed that are programmed into our into our life experience yeah and it's you know you don't have to go to a, a place of um to practice religion or pray to anything or to anyone and um it really is just about what you're willing to change in yourself well and and eventually you know ideally recognizing your godhood you're, you're, you know, being a fragmentation of that which we refer to as God. And in layman's terms, um, for our viewers, and I apologize if I butcher this, um, I'm, I'm not afraid to be wrong, so if I am wrong, I guess I need to learn. But Buddhism is basically, um, the Buddha is an enlightened form. It's, it's where you have done everything so right in your life that you become enlightened. And the Buddha isn't someone that you worship. The Buddha is what you hope to become so in your enlightenment you live your you live every lifetime that you need to live before you become enlightened and when you become enlightened you are also the buddha and that's that's and that's very that is really layman's terms that's like not doing it justice at all because there's there's all types of stuff that go into it there's it's just wow it's just a beautiful symphony of things that you can learn about it but um i know i'm not doing it justice like i said but that is very layman's terms what so that's just the building on yourself and becoming better i i don't think philosophy is a bad thing to live by 
I just I think it's good to subscribe to some idea that makes you like not a shitty person though. <laughs> I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, well, and 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 to speak to that, uh, we all are the philosophy by which we speak. We, you know, we are to a greater or lesser extent that which we believe about ourselves. We are philosophy. Yeah. And I've met like toxic Christians and toxic Catholicism, and I don't think I've ever met. <laughs> I don't think I've ever met a toxic Buddhist. I'm not sure that I have. Maybe it's a thing. I'm, 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 I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a there's a holier than thou type of beat with some Buddhists, but I mean, I haven't met any. It's it's a hazard of the meat suit. There's one of them. There's got to be at least one. Cynthia, so you, you talked about your affinity towards love, and I'd I'd like to I'd like to know how do you define love? Oh, love. Oh, I love love. <laughs> Um, love, as I understand it to be, in its purest form, unconditional, non-judgmental, just just overwhelming, drive you to your knees, the kind of love that you can't even imagine not wanting to be the best version of yourself for. Like, like it would never even cross your mind. It would leave you with regret to, to not be the absolute best version of yourself for, for, the, for what I understand to be love. Do you think love is objective or subjective? I think on this level of existence, it's subjective because we only know an imitation of it. And and that's what I'm saying. The love, as I understand it, is is blinding. Like it will it will fry your circuits if you look at it too long. Um, and and it's just like truth on this level of existence. You know, we have to filter it through the lens of wisdom because people can't handle absolute truth. Our brains aren't wired for that. And and that kind of speaks to our entire existence. You know, it's perfectly imperfect in its imperfection. And there's a reason for that. You also spoke a little bit on, on happiness, too. And you're right. Money does not buy you happiness. It definitely makes things easier, but it, it will not bring you happiness. How would you, what, what do you think your key to happiness is? If you, if you were trying to help somebody become happy. I know that's a really, that's a loaded question. I know that a lot of people are just like, I just want to be happy. If that was you put in that position, how would you, what would you teach? Well, you can't, you can't make anybody happy. You can only kind of point the way. And, and the way, the way I do it is by telling people the truth of themselves. Like, like you can do a tremendous amount of damage by telling people the truth of themselves, or you can do a tremendous amount of good by telling people the truth of themselves. Um, and, and when you tell people the truth of the good truth, of themselves, you know, the things that, that they think that they're still working on and, and, you know, other people haven't noticed when you tell them how beautiful you see them as being and, and, and how they're going to do amazing things in the world and how you're just so grateful that they exist, you know, in, in this cosmic machine in which we live doing their part, doing whatever the thing is that they're doing, then like you can see it in their face. You can see essence of being, rise you know like like they start to glow they smile they're happy you know and 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 sometimes devastated at the same time you know because uh i've i've talked to a lot of i well i talk to a lot of homeless people and drug addicts you know because i consider them to be my people (laughs) they're my tribe (laughs) and um when we used to go out leafletting and stuff like that uh this this one one woman in particular she would you know she had like the little pulley cart and and you could tell that she hadn't had a home in a in a long time 
And, and I just told her how beautiful she was because she absolutely was like, she just glowed with beauty. And, and she was like, really, you think I'm beautiful? And I'm like, oh my goodness. Yes, you are so beautiful. You are so gorgeous. And it like, it changed her entire demeanor. She carried herself straighter, you know, she seemed happier, you know, she felt more confident or at least seemed to in that moment. And, you know, I gave her a big hug and, oh yeah, it was just so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. <laughs> Long pause. Long pause. <laughs> We're just trying to absorb I mean, if, what you're yeah. saying. If you want me to keep talking, no, no, I can. No, no. I'm just trying to say it again. <laughs> It's like, it's like one of those things. It's just, I guess it's a perspective thing, right? You, we've, Clay and I have talked to a lot of religious people, people who have found faith in a deity. It's not often that you come across somebody that literally just lives life on the virtue that they're trying to live their life better. And I don't know if that makes like sense in its entirety. It's. Oh, I think it was beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm trying to find the words to properly convey my thoughts right now, and I'm having a tough time. I'm going to take that compliment and put it in my pocket. <laughs> I think where Jake's going is it just it's so refreshing to get a different perspective because we have talked to a lot of people with really strong faith, and that's really great for them. You know, I would never take that away from them. That is their truth, and I'm glad that they have that. But it's really refreshing to see the opposite spectrum just as happy, just as confident about the way they're living their life. And 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 I, I said that I would never do anything to detract from someone's beliefs. If that's your thing, that that is your thing, that is your right. Sometimes I think, though, that religion might be, and forgive me if this is offensive, but I think that sometimes religion can be seen as, like, too easy. Maybe, like, an easier way out if you have something to look forward to versus just pure, undulterated virtue, which is found within yourself. Like, you're, you're not doing it for a higher purpose. You're doing it to be better it's i think there's something to be said about it i'm not saying that being religious is bad or that you can't be a good person by finding your faith but i think that there's do you, do you want me to say it yeah yeah yeah. go for it no speak <laughs> organized organized religion is terrible speak your mind this is your truth speak your truth Cynthia. Uh, i i find organized religion to just be like another uh, arm of the colonizer dominator attitude you know like they it doesn't encourage i mean they'll tell you to to go within you know the bible tells you to go within but but when they're preaching it to you and and that's part of how religion came to be in the first place like most of the people were illiterate so they would have one person teaching the word the truth to the people which is how you come up with things like primus noctis and and things of that nature and people are buying absolution for sins that they haven't even committed yet i could go on and on and yeah. on <laughs> the catholic church like demanding gold from you and if you don't give gold to the church and you, you burn in a pit of fire for all of eternity it's like scare tactics yeah. Yeah. no 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 and well, i i, I yeah. can agree with that like uh, organized religion i think that might be another discussion like organized religion and stuff but i you know people that look to organized religion religion and they use that to be a better person. That's good. That's that's a beautiful thing. When you find Christianity and that's what you follow and you use the virtues of Christianity to be a better version of yourself and help others, I think that's good. Well, uh, actually, I would say it comes down to critical thinking. You know, you can have faith and be a critical thinker. Like, like I believe, I have reasons to believe that, that there is something, not a sky daddy, but but definitely something. Um, but, definitely uh, something. You know, but... And, and and I would say if we were all better critical thinkers, that organized religion would become obsolete. 
the problem is, is that we don't have critical thinkers anymore. We have people who have gone through a public school system that has trained them to be factory workers and soldiers. That's a really interesting thought, too. Yeah, I have a lot of them. <laughs> you should get to know me. I'm amazing. <laughs> I want to get your take on this since we're on the topic of religion and spirituality. The collective consciousness. What are your thoughts on this? Her eyes just got huge, by the way. <laughs> the way that Cynthia's face lit up when I said that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like my favorite topic in the whole world. <laughs> I have a few different theories. Would you like them all or yeah, just the one that I'm I would like as many as you'll give me. <laughs> Far from the hope. Well, well, there's many world theories which suggest that we all live on dimensional planes. So so every time we make a choice, it creates like another dimensional plane where, where every, the opposite of, of every choice that we made play, also plays out. Uh, then there's simulation theory, which is my personal favorite. I, I believe, and I'm not going to go into why I believe this because then you'll be sure I'm crazy, but... <laughs> Um, I, I believe that, that we are essentially living in a simulation that these bodies are probably some of the greatest technology that, that we have ever seen self-replicating, self-healing robots, essentially. And, and, and you've, you've heard me refer to it as the meat suit or, or the Muppet, you know, the, 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 what the essence of our being is trapped in so that we can experience the life experience. And I believe that the energy that creates this simulation is not only is is love and intellect it's it's like ai and biological and and i think that's what we're doing i think the reason that we're doing everything that we do is to sort of integrate those two to make you know to bring love and logic together so so love isn't just sort of all over the place and and logic isn't so sterile and robotics so if if that makes sense that's that's my personal theory just just on the stuff that i have read so, thus far you heard it here first listeners we are living in a simulation <laughs> that is fact what about the feeling of having to pee though cynthia how do you explain that yeah uh well what happens outside the if, simulation are we just peeing ourselves <laughs> oh, i'm so serious i'm really i'm so curious dude like you have to pee in a dream right sometimes you just pee your bed you just pee the bed right if that like if this is all simulation is real, why do I have to feel like I well, have to pee like so ferociously? Well, if if you if you have to go, I can wait. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Don't don't let me hurt. What happens in the real world if I have to pee in the simulation? Do I pee in real life? I think you should. This is not up to me. Um well well that and and again, you know, if if we are living in a simulation then then our biological aspects are very much at play. If you have to pee in the simulation, then you should pee in the because that's the way these robots work. Now, if you're talking about like virtual reality where, you know, because some people believe that we could all just be brains in a bucket projecting this life experience. And and I don't know that it would necessarily, you know, your body. See, this is why I don't like that particular theory, because your body, your body would die if you didn't go to the bathroom. Right. Me personally, I'm I'm of this this thought process, right? I am aware of this can of soda nondescript non-branded can of soda that I'm holding in my hand on this podcast. Therefore, it, you mean that red therefore, and white one? <laughs> therefore, I am not this kind of soda. I am aware that I am sitting in this chair. Therefore, this chair is not me. Now, I am also aware of my body. Therefore, this is not me. I am aware of my anxiety. Therefore, it is not a part of who I am, right? So, yeah, all this is borrowed. All of this is just a way for us to perceive things that we cannot perceive any other way. 
This is the only way to be aware of our surroundings. So we are doing this now to be aware. I believe that we are the universe. I am the universe. You are the universe. Jake is the universe. And we chose to experience the universe as this form to learn lessons, very much like Buddhism, right? To learn lessons. Because if you take that one step further, if there is an ultimate being and it is doing the same thing, that would account for all of the verbiage that we see in the ancient texts. You know, uh, uh, he has created us in our image, things like that. We, we are a reflection of the being that, that we exist for to experience those experiences so that it can lo- grow and learn and become in the same manner that we grow and learn and become hopefully ideally to to individuate or sublate however however you want to term it um uh, some people would call it ecstatic union uh but once we can make love logical we'll all be better off as people in my opinion which is why i work to raise consciousness that's that's my whole absolutely i want to get into some free form questions from your philosophy mind bring it on (laughs) is there an alternative to capitalism if so what is it oh my goodness there's gotta be Um, but here's the problem I see with capitalism. Like, I, I understand it. I understand why it exists. You know, I read Wealth of Nations. You know, I, I get all of that. Um, I understand that it is that it could be a potentially really good system. The only problem I see with capitalism is that it is specifically dependent on some group suffering. And, and if we were to take capitalism and actually... Uh, pay people, you know, like they had value as more than just a warm body standing by a conveyor belt, you know, because even the garbage man is risking his life every day, like the fumes that he takes in, like you don't even know what's in some of those garbage cans. You got, you got, you know, people who are manufacturing meth and they're throwing all kinds of chemicals in there and stuff like their lives are literally on the line, but they don't get paid as much as say a doctor whose life is not on the line, but he does have the education. And I would say that those two things balance. If we could make it more equitable and, and more humane and, and make the system work for the people instead of the people working for the system, I think we would do well. I fully agree with you. You forget one very important factor of that, though. Somebody is going to lose money. Can't have that. Well, it's going to be the people that have money to lose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and those who have power, will, will you no, will no, no, cry no, no, out no. of their cold, dead hand. <laughs> saying that you and I are going to lose money and if we did you know that's only detrimental to us I'm just saying if someone you know wink important loses money it's not everybody's problem what a sad sad day well yeah and and that's what I'm speaking to you know when people who have power do not want to cede power you will pry it out of their cold dead hand something bad needs to happen to very powerful people absolutely down with the rich I'm working on a guillotine oh my god <laughs> Cynthia, they're not hard they're, pre- they're pretty simple pieces it's of technology. It's just a string and a blade, right? Cynthia, it's already been invented. Just a rope and a just blade. Buy one. Just, buy- just get just one. Get one. <laughs> yeah, but but you can't just go buy one at the store. Like, yeah, so you can buy the parts. You want to look it up? Hey, get on Amazon right now. I bet you Bezos is selling. So, Cynthia, while Jake's doing that. This literally says... This literally says guillotine. Low price free express. <laughs> Dude, you could get one on Etsy. Let's see how much it is on Etsy. Oh my! No, no way! way. A full size guillotine. Etsy. Oh, you can get. Yeah, they're full size guillotines. Mm, oh no! About? This is. I think this is guillotine um, accessories. Blacksmith <laughs> guillotine accessories. But the fact oh. that you can go on Etsy and do that. Oh, a blacksmith guillotine. What? What is that? 
you can get a guillotine on Amazon. What are you up to, Jeff Bezos? Oh, you know. This is literally a paper. <laughs> this is a paper. No, you could get a full. You cannot buy a full size guillotine on Amazon, dude. I don't know. You can definitely cut off a finger with this thing, though. For I mean, one finger at a time. Right? seventy nine. One finger at a time. No, I'm 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 I want a little more than a finger. <laughs> like if I'm gonna do this, Cynthia's it's gonna out for count, blood. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> If, if, I'm, if I'm gonna write that check speaking of out for blood my f- all-time favorite philosophy question is the trolley problem i know you've heard it mm. why are they laying in the road dude why are they laying on the tracks just get up they can't get up the trolley question what's how do you solve it so for the audience for the audience here's the trolley question right there is a railroad track or a trolley track if you're from developed countries there is a trolley track that goes one of two ways on one track there is a single person. You don't know who this person is. You don't know anything about them. On the other track, there are 10 people. You have the power to switch the trolley. Do you save 10 people and kill one? Or do you kill the one and save 10? Yeah. So, Cynthia, how <laughs> do, do you, you do? how do you see this problem? Uh, well, well, there's a couple different ways uh, to come at this problem. And, and I, I should tell you that I'm one of the few people I know that, that doesn't see death in the same way as most people do. Like, like, I actually see death as the next level of existence, so therefore a more desired state of being. Um, so, so I don't, I don't have a lot of the moral compunctions that, that some people would have. Oh, no, you would certainly save the one. Um, I, I Honestly, uh, for me, it, it kind of comes down to to a Sophie's Choice kind of a thing. Like, like you cannot maintain your power by letting someone dictate how you're going to act. So I probably would not act and just let the trolley take its natural course. That's a good answer. That's that's a valid answer. You know, mm-hmm. that's a good good answer, Cynthia. Because those ten people were actually Al Qaeda sleeper agents. And you're now an American hero. Unfortunately, so the one person was Jake. Yeah, it was me, though. So unfortunate. Well, I'm so glad you didn't die. <laughs> well, uh, do you know the baby on the desert island? I'm not aware. No. Okay, the, the synopsis is, is you're stranded on, on a desert island with the baby. What do you do? Do you kill the baby or or do you let it continue to live? And, and I would say that you would kill the baby because even if you manage to keep it alive long enough for you to end up dying... Um, well, then the baby's going to suffer from starvation anyway. It would be actually a mercy just to snap its neck. Wow. <laughs> I know. I'm wow. There's something, there's something to be said about that, and I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and I, I, I kind of I messed that up. You know, like, do you give your rations to the baby to keep it alive as long as You know as what, as Cynthia, I'll play your game. Okay. <laughs> I think you're right. I don't, you know, I don't think I have the gusto. You know, I don't have what it takes to snap a infant's neck, but me personally. But I do agree with the notion that, um, for conversation's sake, that maybe you shouldn't waste your resources on something that's not going to live once you're gone. And so, if, well, not only is it not going to live, but it is going to suffer. Yeah, it's hardly. it's going to suffer without it is going you. To so. Suffer. <clears throat> easier to give it a quick death yeah and then yeah. you could probably use it as like food we can maybe cut that <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not well i can't because i'm a vegan but i imagine it tastes like Cynthia, <laughs> Cynthia, you're stranded on an island your options of being a vegan they're yeah no one void vegan goes right? out the door you're stranded on the island you yeah, gotta eat what you gotta <laughs> eat. yeah <laughs> I might go pescatarian. Like, what, what, what happens when you like leave the baby to go fishing, right? Because you're on an island, the, the, you're probably just gonna have like a lot of fish to eat. Like, what happens? I mean, that baby's Maybe gonna I'm... die. 
Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You can't take the baby fishing. Yeah, no, that baby's gonna die. No, you anyway. can't take the baby fishing. And 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 depending on how old the baby was, like there's no way that that it, it would be able to process solid food. You know, like no. it, it, uh, there are a lot of factors in play there. But but in the end, the the greatest good I see is happening is that the baby dies as quickly as possible. You spoke to death being a new beginning. I would get a I'd get an Etsy guillotine for the baby. Jake, you're on the desert island. You don't have an Etsy. There is no tell Etsy me, on the desert me, island. Etsy won't, Etsy won't deliver. No, not to a desert what? island. There's no internet on the island. Etsy's fake, dude. <laughs> you spoke to death being the new beginning. Do you have a thought on what that new beginning looks like, or do you think it even matters to know? Uh, I I do, and and I I think it matters a great deal because because there are a lot of people who fear death and and everything that i have read and and i've i've read pretty extensively on the subject and uh the the best conclusion i've come up with so far is is, uh the baha'i say it most beautifully oh oh, son of the supreme i have sent death as a messenger of joy why do you shield yourself therefrom and and for me the next level of existence is is energetic and and it gives you the capacity to think thoughts that you could not maintain the energy to think on this level of existence. It's just so it's just so it interesting is, that so this beautiful. is like <laughs> I mean, I don't know, when you start to think about what happens after you die and it's it's, it's pretty daunting. It's like imagine it's like trying to imagine what your life was like before you were born, right? You can't you can't you can't manifest what true nothingness is. Like go ahead, I, I implore you to try to imagine what true absolute because you close your eyes and you imagine nothing you're gonna see black well black is not nothing black is something true absolute nothingness is it's, it's it's an impossible concept to fathom and so before life and after death is like they're pretty much the same right and 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 i would say the ancients had a better understanding of that than than we do today i i think we have safetyed ourselves into such a state of fear and panic over it that that we don't see it as the natural process that it actually is because because when you read the ancient text like those guys are trying to die all the time like they were constantly fighting over stupid stuff yeah. just trying to die uh and and not anymore now people want to be safe like they well they actually think that safety even exists and and i would say that's not true everybody's going to die it's just a matter of when and where and i think death used to be like celebrated too yeah i mean you you sort of oh my goodness yeah i mean you said that to you know warriors used to fight they used to like yearn to die in combat because they were secured a spot in the afterlife but it used to be a Mm -hmm. celebrated thing People would be ready to go, and they'd have these big festivals for people that died. And I'd, I'd have to Google something specific to sound a little bit more educated on it. But I know now it's a very sorrow and harrowing event when someone passes away. Well, that's because you know everybody is is so very trapped in their meat suit. You know, like they don't see an existence outside of this body. They think once this body dies, it dies forever. And and if there is such a thing as an immortal soul, they think their body's going to come with them. And and I don't believe that that is true either I, I believe that the essence of our being is energetic just like you said energy can neither be created nor destroyed and and that energy comes from that that being i was telling you about that is the simulation that's you know it is begotten from that and and we have a little mix of each and and we're trying to integrate that and and uh, i i would say probably the best exemplification of that that i can think of would be the myth of ur in the uh, book 10 of the republic are, are you familiar no. with it 
Okay, well, uh, in the myth of Ur, there's a, a warrior, and he he supposedly dies in battle. Um, you know, they think he's dead, but his body's not deteriorating. Um, he manages to get sent all the way back home, and his body is still fine. It's not deteriorating like it should be. And, and it's when they put him on the funeral pyre that he comes back to consciousness. And, and, he, and he starts telling them about how it was sort of like a processing thing. Everybody, everybody... Um, chose chose their life experience they designed their life experience and and then you know it was certified by by clothos and and the sisters and and then he comes back to earth and, and he talks about what happens to souls who did not you know did not live well on on this on the planet when they were here and and all of these other things but but it's it's things like the things i read like that because that's not the only thing that seems to suggest that we choose this life experience that that lead me you know just lead me back to the simulation theory you know like at some point we were pure energy and and we actually designed this life experience for a very specific purpose imagine you die and you just end up in a collections office and the guy's just standing there and he's like hey man hope you brought some money with you like he brought you money right <laughs> he brought that with you like you didn't you, leave you, that behind did you, you brought that right you did you did leave that be- <sighs> back in that oh, oh, you gotta go back and get it you gotta go back buddy. and get it Buddy. You gotta go back and get it, <laughs> buddy. Dude, you committed suicide. Now you're a cleric. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. To wrap us up, I'd like to ask a question framed with 2020 in mind. Over this last year, what was the hardest thing you had to say to someone? I know you talked a lot about love and about speaking people's truths to them in a positive light. What was the hardest thing you had to tell someone for a good reason? To tell them that their willful ignorance was a problem for me. <laughs> uh, and would you like the story behind that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do a couple of podcasts and, and I was doing it with this individual and, and she was a climate change denier. And, and she, she had presented all of her evidence, but it, but it was all secondary and, and had been debunked several times. And I, I said to her, you know, I'm going to need a primary source on this. Like, this is like, you need to get me something that actually says what you're saying is true. Like, this has to be credible. And and everything I see about this, the one source that you're giving me tells me that it is not credible. And she looked me in the face and said, well, I don't feel that way. And, and I'm like, I don't care how you feel. <laughs> like, how did feelings get into this? Facts don't care. It has nothing to do with Facts don't care about your feelings, liberal. <laughs> This is academic rigor we're talking about here. <laughs> this is not about how you feel. This, this is about is, facts. This is the lawsuit I'm going to get hit with is what if what you're saying is disproven. Like I need to know that what you're saying is credible. And 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 she's actually she's actually on the conservative side of that. She doesn't believe that climate change is happening. Climate change is always happening though. Yeah, the climate has changed for as long as there has been I think climate. The climate's been the same right. for the past however many years. At least twelve. It's not even a scary thing. It's a very normal thing it gets for our cold, Earth to do. It gets cold. It gets warm, dude. Scientifically, Just it's a normal thing. Put on a coat. Thing. Right. <laughs> Grow up. And but oh my but, gosh. But here's here's the problem. Here's the problem with looking at it like that because I I know a lot of people that feel the same right way and and I'm not discounting because the science backs it up. The problem with that is they don't. Uh, most people don't understand that climate. And, and environment and the things that we do to this earth are directly connected. And once you start telling them that everything's okay, then they're just going to assume that everything is okay. 
And, and that's not going to work. Like, like we cannot keep doing the things to the planet that we have been doing. We have got to stop. And, and telling people that it's okay just gives them a reason to not recycle, to not, you know, be thrifty, you know, to not, well, you know, be regenerative. Yeah, We're coming to the end of our time. Boo! And we always end with asking, what products, what platforms do you want to promote? If people want to know more about you, if people want to get to know you better, where can they find you? Oh, you can find me all over the place. I'm building myself a no-paying media empire. <laughs> um, I have I have Lovearchy and Philosophox on radiohydrogen.space. Uh, I am currently working with the Emergent Reality Network on, on an initiative to create citizens' assemblies and, and uh, philosophy groups so, so that we can bring laymen and academics together because a, a lot of the problem with philosophy is the, the language, the academic language. It's, it's unrelatable for, for the regular person and, and just gives them an opportunity to hoard it for themselves. Uh, and I also do uh, just like a little philosophy thing on YouTube on Interactive Media 13. Beautiful. Thank you for your time and for your candor. I really appreciate it. Um, it was a it was a beautiful conversation, and like I said in the intro, you are an absolute gem of a person, and I thoroughly enjoyed our time together. Yeah, that was a really I think it was a really productive conversation. Kind of, and it's not often we get like lost in conversation like this. Yeah, it's not often that Jake and I get off topic. Just kidding. Yeah. that's every episode. <laughs> All the time, literally every, every episode every we day. get off topic. Cynthia, the viewers are dying to know though. Ketchup or mustard? Ketchup. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Scrub the episode. Scrub Quake. the episode. Delete the Visible episode. frustration. He's not all right. Delete the well, with you, Cynthia. And, uh, nope. Honestly, it, it depends on you what can. you're talking about. Because if, if it's like cooking mustard, if it's just as a condiment, then ketchup. Yeah, we mean like you can only choose one and you're stuck with this. If you just had to eat plain ketchup or plain mustard, which condiment would you squeeze directly into your mouth? I would have to go with ketchup. <laughs> knew it. <laughs> Mashed, <laughs> mashed tomatoes. It's just mashed tomatoes. But, so, but yeah. it's also tomato soup. You know, like, I, I don't know how poor you've ever been, but ketchup has gotten, gotten me through a lot of rough times, my friend. <laughs> so bring yourself back from the ketchup thing. I just need you to say one thing for me. We ask all our guests to say it. All you got to say is Clay's mustache is better than Jake's. That's not a question. I, let me see Jake's mustache. Because I, I, I and, and, and so, that's, that's the one he, he thing. He turned his camera off in embarrassment. That's no, what he did. my camera. All right, there we go. Okay. Look, see? So I gotta get oh, closer. look at you. You got like a little wispy kind of thing going on there. That's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to shave it. And you I'm got like this little house. Tom Selleck thing happening with you, Clay. Like you and got I'm the Tom. It. Well, it's like it's apples and oranges. You you have the Dobie Gillis hipster kind of mustache. Why can't we compare Why? apples and oranges? Why, Why can't, can't we, we not compare, compare apples and oranges? We can't I literally compare ask them. this all the time. You no. can definitely compare them, Jake. I'm gonna shave your mustache. That's the end of it. You're not uh, shaving my mustache, dude. It, it would be subjective, is is what I'm saying. You know, like, okay, like in your you subjective view, very different. In my subjective view. In my subjective view, as a fifty-nine-year-old woman, in your humble yes. opinion, in my it's very important opinion, to us. Yes, I would have to go with Clay's mustache is better. Two for two, baby. Two for two, Jake. That's two for two. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Let Me Ask You. If you are Someone's a gotta love me. new listener, we hope you enjoyed. If you're a return listener, we appreciate your loyalty. This has been Clay and Jake and Cynthia. We really, we really appreciate you sticking out for the long ride. Until next time.
stay curious, right? That's what we're doing. No, that's already. That's a not thing. Sta- that is definitely. Nah, a thing. Stay curious. Our is thing, thing is supposed to be. Let me ask you. We'd oh, like, let me ask you. We'd be like, hey Cynthia, no, let but, me ask you. But we yeah, haven't oh, been doing that. We didn't do that though. We haven't done that at all. We haven't done that ever to anybody. <laughs> it's supposed so, to be our thing. We discussed marketing. it, and then it really bad, really, yeah. really bad marketing.